So I went out to the, some rabbi's house in Fort Lee, and a scribe came, and he had like a quill, wrote all this stuff down, and my ex-wife refused to come, uh, even though like, mine did the same thing the whole time oh, we were yeah, married. Right. <laughs> From the smallest room in New York City, after nearly two years of robbing banks, comes a show that gives you a reason to live. Robbing banks, a geezer couple spree has finally come to an end. Seventy-one-year-old Phyllis Jackson and sixty-year-old Benji Richmond. Arrested in Bedlam Crime Essence in Violent Brooklyn. They just completed their latest and most likely last bank robbery at Capital One Bank on 6th Avenue, from which they made off with $1,685. That's not a bad haul for a bank robbery. Considering a lot of them, uh, you, you don't get anything near that, you know? I mean, a lot of times you get 400 bucks or nothing. Well, bank robbery is a really interesting... It, it, bank robbery has an, an image, I think, popularly... There's a way that you can make lots of money. Yeah, it's like a big score. Right. You plan really, it for years. Really, it's just, you know, 99% of them seem to be these very small, kind of sad stores. The way you might rob a liquor store, the way you might rob any store, a bodega. Right. You walk in, you have a gun, you have to do a note in this case, but, you know, they'll do that at other places. It's really not a complicated thing. I thought the... You remember uh, the movies about bank robberies are always so like, you know, the heat. Yeah, we're going to drill into the top. We need a guy on the safe. There's nine guys, you know, and they they get the jewels out of the safe deposit box or whatever. But this, uh, yeah, you're right. It's very, and now we actually, oh, sorry. Well, the thing is, I I think it's even less um, daring than robbing a bodega because in a bodega, the guy may have a machete or a baseball bat. Possibly a gun. You can, a gun. You're allowed to have one if you're defending your business. Right. Whereas um, banks universally tell their tellers, yeah, just give them whatever, just give them whatever's in your drawer and that's it. So they know that they can, they know they're not going to get shot. Yeah. It's a, it's an, it's a high risk, uh, low yield uh, kind of a deal for the, for the robber usually. Right. And, and even if they give you the money, a, a bodega that's never going to have a die pack. Yeah, they don't think they don't, they don't think right. to do that. Right. Uh, some of the bank robberies over the years have been pretty interesting. You know, there was a guy in a wheelchair who robbed a couple of banks. Oh my! Okay. Uh, there was the 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 guy who would just change his hat every time he would rob the bank. He was the you know, different hat, <laughs> and that was his disguise. I, oh, now I'm a cowboy. Yeah. I, a few years ago, about twenty years ago, there was a guy who would um, like an office worker in Midtown, and he would go and rob banks during lunch and then go back to work. What a perfect cover. I mean, that's the way to do it. You go back to your job, and then you just come walking out like, what's going on out here? And and, and really, who would suspect a guy like that? How did, he must have gotten away for with it for a while, huh? For a little while. Yeah, but th- there's cameras. How do, it just seems to me like nobody st- – it's like gambling in a casino. They never stop when they're up. <laughs> right. That I know of. I've never heard of it. Can I just um say uh, that guy, the bank robber who would go out during lunch and rob banks uh, from his office job – it's connected to my mind because this was another criminal at the same time, a guy who would take uh, little spray bottles with his urine and like a little bag with his dried shit and go to Korean delis and go to the like the salad bar and sprinkle his shit on things and spray like his urine onto the food and they caught him. Uh, <laughs> That's totally random. It's just connected in my mind because it was around the same time. Yeah, and I remember reading about both. And just now that's obviously the more, the bigger menace, you know. Second, I, yeah. obviously. I mean, you know, a guy like that is there's not even any profit in it. There's no motive except there's for these people are eating my feces. Whenever I go to Starbucks, how do you dry the feces? I guess you shit on something and let it dry. Whenever I see those little like um, salt shakers filled with cocoa. <laughs> I think that might be how he was doing it. Oh well, in like a little um, shaker. Yeah, and, and and you just wonder like if anybody like went back for seconds on any of that, you know? Like, man, I need oh. a little more of that uh, seasoning. That is really something. Uh, make sure you get one with a lot of the flakes. That's really it, what. Imagine the flavor of that. You know what I mean? Like that. It must have been a very small amount if if people weren't just eating it, going, "This tastes like shit to me." It's Korean it deli. Was, it was just um, little sprinkles. I don't know what he was doing. I wonder if it was enough to do any damage. There were a couple of days, like in the news, they were like, for a couple of days, it was like, this is going to destroy 
Korean deli salad bars, but obviously it kind of didn't. I don't think the word got to the Koreans, Maybe most likely, not. you know. I mean, I, and and don't you feel as if if they knew that guy had done that that day, they would just shrug, many of them would just shrug? I'm not saying it is a, like, a, I don't know, like a, an insult to anybody's ethnicity or anything like that, but I mean, like, a lot of people just don't, they're not as worried about their about things like that. I think different people are, they have different levels of squeamish. That could be. And and people eat uh, bugs. It may, you know what? Uh, dried feces and and little and spray urine. It may be a delicacy in some parts of the world. Maybe wherever that guy was from. Well, this this guy was not that exotic. Uh, Benji and uh, this woman had a very usual routine, and that that they followed. Very uh, Phyllis Jackson, who, as I mentioned, is seventy one, by the way. And Phyllis, a bank robber named Phyllis, is just a uh, man. That's a funny one. Walked up to the teller. Uh, making uh, as if she wasn't a, a bank robbing old hag, uh, but just like a regular old hag, or, uh, like a bank customer hag they were about to have to deal with. And uh, and then Benji uh, would slip a note to the teller. He'd come up from behind. The the most recent note said, give me all the money. I have a gun. You will get hurt. Oh. Usually they say, I don't want to hurt anyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's usually they, they make it clear that that's kind of like, that's not on the top of my list I here. I am going to hurt you. But, yeah, you will get hurt. Now, uh, what, what, why were two of them involved? It doesn't seem. Well, like you see, like she person. would walk in ahead of time. I think that I think it was a little bit of romance, actually, because I can't see how it helped that much. But you see, it would it would look as if she was a customer and look like that. And and to surprise them, I guess he would come up from behind, and uh, I, I maybe he would think of using her as a human shield in the event that uh, a security guard got got uh, happy with his. I I really don't know. Um, that seems like uh, not very. Uh not very well thought out. No, I don't, th- I don't think they had a really good. Um, well, they, you know what they, he he did eight bank robberies and she did four of them. So uh, it, and she, they haven't like necessarily ruled her out for the other four, but they just you know four that they know of. Now uh, it began in 2015 with a, an unsuccessful attempt to knock over a Chase Manhattan Bank in the village, and uh, and since then they've they've come down with about eleven grand, a little over eleven grand, eleven eleven thousand three hundred thirty four dollars. And uh, I like the way the Daily News reports things because they always sort of see, you know, why. It says uh, they netted $11,334. This is from the Daily News. And used the money to pay rent and supplement their public assistance income. Oh. Which makes it sound like just sort of like a little side job they were doing. And, look, they're, they're kind of poor. Uh, it seems as if uh, it doesn't make me more sympathetic to them. It kind of makes, makes it even worse. They're on the public teat. I hope their public assistance will be canceled at this point. Um, maybe, maybe not. I, mean, I, I, I assume they'll probably be going to prison. Well, you would think. Uh, the, right now, they're both out on fifty thousand dollars bond. Uh, oh, they're they're out. They're okay. out. Yeah, they got. Th- which again? Where did they come up with that. Fifty grand. Yeah. Well, you know, I, who knows? I I would say that the the DA probably asked for half a million. Two hundred thousand, and then the judge went. I don't think so. Yeah, but you still have to come up with the, um, or maybe you only have to come up with like ten percent. Well, where they bailed. come up with it? They had all that money. It wasn't even all that much money, though. Was it eleven grand? In, in but it was in, all spent. They, it was like they spent it on rent and stuff. Oh, that's right. They needed it to buy diapers for their wife. I mean, <laughs> eleven grand—that's a nice amount of money. But over the course of a year and a half, or for two people in New York City, it's not going to like. Um, it's not even like a regular job, quite. Really, not even close. No, it's not even close. They were uh, well. It's you know who says it very well here is uh, this guy from the FBI NYPD Joint Violent Crimes Task Force. That's Lieutenant John Rogan. He says you know doing a bank robbery robbery is is never a good way to make money. The risk outweighs the reward, and uh, that proves I'll to be say. the case here. Yeah. So you know what? Maybe in their later years, they figure like it's like a retirement home, sort of. You know, they get to go there. Go to prison. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you're 71 and you're a woman. They're not going to be too hard on you. But they're not going to be together either. Well, maybe that's part of the appeal uh-huh. for 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 Benji because you know he he's the younger one in here. He's 60. She's kind of as the post 60. said. He's 60. Oh. She's 71. So uh, they're not actually that elderly. Well, he's not. Uh, you know, like Rogan says, he goes, we have two elderly individuals who are committing these crimes. And he added, uh, they are quite spry for their age. 
you know, really, the women last a long time in New York City. I mean, I've seen women here. It's like, look at those legs. And she turns around. She's 80 or something, you okay. know. And uh, I actually had one lady who was funny. I was on the Upper East Side doing something. I forget what. And I went into a bodega after smiling. I just smiled mm-hmm. at a woman. You know, she's she was dressed nice. She looked like she might be, you know, a, a senior member of the secretary pool or whatever. Okay. the fuck. But, you know, she was dressed nice. And she she sees me smile at her. I swear to God crossed the street followed me oh my. and tried to like make contact with me and the and i was just like whoa well how old was she do you think she was probably 60 something it sounds like um midnight cowboy <laughs> yeah right like when i try to get my money she's gonna be like insulted yeah that's what i hate is when you, when you try to get paid and and they're just right. and, 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 and to pay they act as if you actually wanted to fuck them you know right well u.s uh, here's something interesting okay. that came into customs now you know they're trying to I don't know. There's all this uh, stuff with immigration these days. Well, U.S. Sure. and Custom Border Protection agents, they found five live King Cobra snakes in a mail container at Kennedy Airport. Also, three geckos were in there alive. Wow. So That's, um, That seems weird. You'd think that they would have... Um... I think they were separated from the snakes. Oh, okay. But you'd think that the cobras would bite each other. I mean... Uh, I can't even imagine how you could get five... Well, maybe they were small. Well, they were in something... I don't know. Maybe they were small. Maybe they were babies. They were. In, it didn't say babies, though. Uh, a plastic tray is what it was labeled as. Styrofoam package labeled as containing a plastic tray. Maybe snakes go into, like, a hibernation mode or something. I don't know. But it was sent from Hong Kong, uh, and it was sent to the, to the U.S. And right now, they're, you know, they just took them to the Wildlife Service. It's a whole story. And it was a very short story, I, I, and it didn't make a big deal. You know, this is a great city, I think. Five king cobras turn up at the airport, and right. it's just like, eh. Pat, um, I want to do a little public service for you and your listeners, who I think are really going to appreciate this, especially Good. if they like that last story. Oh. Everyone needs to go onto YouTube and find these shows. There's there's a series of shows called Border Security. They have them for the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Britain. And basically, uh, each show profiles uh, the teams at various border crossings. These are land, sea, and air crossings. Um, and they talk both to the people, uh, the, the border guards who say interview people who are coming in, and the customs inspectors going through uh, mail, going through people's bags, finding like, you know, oh, here's these people from India, They've spent the, like half of their baggage allowance is like potatoes from their neighbor's farm, you know, like garden. This show is fascinating. <laughs> so, well, you just, just the way you described it, especially with that last case, pure excitement. Well, uh, or you know, okay, uh, you potato look, smuggling Indian. Well, <laughs> that's so funny. Or people coming in lying about being students and this type of thing. Yeah, but uh, there's a lot of stuff with. Um, reptiles birds you know people uh having put birds in their underpants <laughs> trying to get through customs this kind probably of su- drug mules oh of course drugs all the time border security this show is so great mm-hmm. i mean i've i've spent I've, I've watched every episode of every um series so i just want to throw that in there yeah i think, I think you're um I think your uh, NYC Crime Report listeners are going to really enjoy this show. Well, they probably will, but how do I profit from that? Well, Don't listen to him. I, no, I no I, I'm going to check it out. No, idea. no, it's a great idea. In fact, turn off w- the show right now and go. No, uh, well, well, you, let's do this then, since we're recommending shows. I'm going to I'm going to bring up something and see if you've seen it before, and okay. I bet you have. Now. Uh, you know that we talk about uh, all crime on the show. We don't just talk about anything in particular. It's all, you know, uh, there's phone snatchings, uh, and, we, and we have, uh, you know, people who climb up buildings they shouldn't be climbing up, you know. Sure. And, uh, all, all, all sorts of stuff. Suicides, even. Well, one of the things we talk about is rape sometimes. Well, sometimes. Uh, so uh, this is, it's startling how much more sensitive it is now than it once was. This is a scene uh, from... A show called, uh, a little-known show called All in the Family. I remember that show. And uh, you may remember this episode. This is, uh, the the title of the clip is Edith's Rape Scene. Oh, dear. All in the Family. I remember that this was a huge scandal. So, 
she's she's opened the door and there's a guy in a suit. There's Wait, he's the rapist. Spoiler alert. Now begin again. Hiya, my name is Detective Lambert. I'm with the police department. Uh, I'd like to ask you a couple questions if I could. Oh, sure. Come on in. I'm she lets him right in because he has a badge. He's a man in a gray suit. Women gotta be very careful these days with the robbers and the burglars. Oh no, I can't be too cautious, uh, Miss. Uh, oh, Mrs. Bunker, Edith Bunker. Mrs. Bunker, no, you can't be too cautious because you see, seems there's a man in your neighborhood who's been, well, he's been molesting women. And, uh, oh. So I'd like to ask you and, and your husband a couple questions, if I could. Oh, sure, but my husband ain't here. Oh, that's you see already. Well, maybe you can meet him some other time. But you can ask me questions. Sit down. As long as it don't take too long, because I got to get ready for my surprise birthday. Oh, I ain't supposed to know it. <laughs> no, no, this, uh, this won't take long. Um, first, let me just describe him to you, you know. Uh, now, I'm willing to say. Uh, yes. He's a man about uh, my height and build. Wears a gray suit, dark hat. And a uh, blue and gold striped tie. Oh, just like the one you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, just exactly like the one I'm wearing. <laughs> and it gets a small laugh. You listen to me. You cooperate with me, and you're not going to get hurt. Now, you understand it? Now, that, that should be... Okay, now. The end of any comedy. Now, you don't make any trouble, and everything's gonna be just fine, you understand? I, I'll give you anything you want. I got some money upstairs, eight dollars, or I could give you a check. <laughs> Desperately huffing some money. I don't want your money. Now, look, I don't want to hurt you, but you see this? <gasps> I'd hate to have to use it. Now he's holding a gun and a I'd face. I'd hate to have you have to, too. It's, it's weird. A big right? laugh. All you gotta do, and I guess this was a live exactly studio like audience. Yes, and everything's gonna be just fine. <gasps> and the fact that he was—it's obviously being played for laughs. It's written exactly that way. Exactly what you think I'm gonna do to you. <laughs> He's ripping her clothes <laughs> off. No, no, you and you think, surely this Knock is it. Knock it off. He's about to hit her. All right. Just stay quiet, okay? What are you gonna do? You ain't taking off your clothes, are you? Yeah. Big laugh. But I'm gonna take yours off. Wouldn't you like a cup of coffee? Huge laugh. Well, I she's. I mean, uh, we don't have to watch the whole thing. It, it, it goes on in this manner. Uh, well, you know what this reminds me a lot of? Um, different strokes had the. Um, yeah, with Gordon Jump as the child molester. Oh, okay. So you're familiar with this. Yeah, we. Yeah, it, 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 things like that come up from time to time. Also played for laughs. Yeah, up until very similar. Up until the very you know thing. But uh, yeah, it's played for laughs. Yeah, a, a two-parter. A two-parter. They said we want. Now, my. I wonder how Gordon Jump. Decided to, you know what? Okay, here's the role. You're a, it's a it's a two part episode. Okay, you're gonna be a child molester, and uh, yeah, you're gonna try to fuck Arnold, right? And his friend, uh, what was his name? I don't remember. Arthur, maybe. Yeah. Uh, now you're gonna offer him naked cartoons. You'll sit and watch naked cartoons with them. You'll assuage their uncomfortable nervousness as you. You'll give them You're basically gonna groove, groom them. Yeah. Publicly, you're, people are gonna watch you grooming children. Right. Uh, okay. Well, how much? I mean, that's the end of your career. I mean, you tell my con my. You put in the contract. <laughs> Norm, Norm Macdonald. Uh, uh, yeah, it's look. You got to. Yeah, I guess you gotta, as an actor, give us some thought. But that just shows again, a, a show like that, a comedy show, different strokes, wild. Com and they at the beginning, this is a serious thing. But then, and I don't think they did that. This is her birthday episode. This was a few years before that, and rape. Now, child molesting. You can get away with child molester jokes easier than you can rape jokes. Almost, you know. I mean, rape. It does seem that way. And. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting uh, perspective, you know, to be able to look back and say, 
Well, there was a time, and this is when we grew up. This is when you and I grew up. This was this was on in the 70s, and we were watching. Our dads were watching this. You know, my dad watched it all the time, and I watched it too. Uh, it, it was just a time when, you know what? Things weren't. Uh, nobody was getting sued or tweeted at, or uh, you know, nobody was getting triggered by this. Right. It's hard to imagine somebody not being triggered by that now. Well, it was real. I think it was seen as like really, you know, breaking new ground for television, and it certainly was. I would say. I guess, like making like um, um, rape a, a funny rape scene. A funny rape scene, and 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 the tension every time there's a laugh, usually a secondary laugh, and then it gets serious again. He'll do something that ups the ante. Uh, and you don't think how many Annies could there be? You know, he takes off his jacket. He's about to hit her or whatever. A gun. What? I mean, but they keep finding ways to create tension and diffuse it. Yeah. Um, very. I'm not so sure it was like that successful. Well, it's not making me laugh. I mean, no. I feel very uncomfortable watching it. In fact, yeah, it's a but weird. but it might be conditioning on my part. You know, at this point, uh, to see Edith being such a ditz and. Uh, but the thing is, the studio audience, they're laughing. Do you think they're just laughing at a nervous tension? You know, I'm, that's the funny thing is I'm not even sure that that was all their... That, I think maybe that they were kind of like... Do you think they might have uh, sweetened it a little? Yeah, you know, like that it was kind of funny in a way. Oh, please don't do that. Oh, wait. Oh, you, what do you mean that it was funny in a way? Like that it wasn't just nervous laughter. Oh, they were laughing at it. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but it doesn't make us laugh as a contemporary. Comedy never ages well. It just doesn't. Well, this clearly didn't. Uh, no, I guess no. This would be... Uh, at this point, I'm actually kind of surprised it's even on YouTube. Uh, if you want to see the full scene, you just Edith's rape scene all in the family, it's not really that tough to find. Watch it right after Border Patrol. What's it called? Border Border Security. Border, border Security. I'm sure that you'll find it. Yeah, it's easy. And... Uh, this happened in New York City. A female strap hanger on the J train who had closed her eyes while listening to music was startled when she found, well, she felt something wet splashing her face. Now, and, and already you're bugged. You feel something wet splashing your face on the subway. Sure, but you might figure, oh, it's just the air condition, the condenser dripping on me. She opens her eyes to discover that a man was pissing on her. A man was pissing on her face. The 26-year-old victim was riding a train around uh, 2 a.m. near Jamaica, Queens, when the incident occurred. Now, not into victim blaming. I, my eyes, if I'm on the train in Jamaica, the J train, 2 a.m., I'm going to, uh, I, I, my eyes are wide open. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, my head's on a swivel. If there's anybody in the car, uh, I'm not going to lay back and, and listen to New York City Crime Report. That's probably what she was listening to, was New York City Most Crime Most likely. Uh, if, if she was listening to it, I bet you she would have been a lot more alert. Yeah, but at two in the morning, if this is her customary route, she's probably, you know, just... Uh, she probably isn't expecting someone to piss on her face. Probably. Bottom not. line, it is unusual not. behavior. Uh, well, uh, the piss bandit fled after uh, getting off the J at Cypress Hills, and that's something I just can't understand, how you could just piss on a woman. Uh, she was uninjured and... Uh, and uh, she uh, did report the incident to police. Okay. They described the suspect. You wonder what kind of guy would do this? A little bit. Five foot three. Oh, a little guy. A little guy, red shirt and black pants. So to me, and I'm going to say it because uh, it sounds like a Mexican. It sounds like uh, not necessarily because of, the, but a guy that's short. Uh, uh, there's a lot of short Mexicans in the city. It's just when you become accustomed to seeing them and saying, right. well, that's a Mexican you could tell from behind. Um, you know, not to make any racial characterizations, but I have noticed that um, Central Americans and Mexican immigrants to New York, um, sometimes they get caught up in um, very odd kind of uh, little crimes like this, like a few years ago, some one of them, somebody was going around um, stabbing women in the butt with like a little knife. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, um, something about that. And there was a little petite groper too, who was on the loose for a there while. There was a fair amount of groping, this type of thing. Um, yeah, it's interesting how different um, ethnicities may have different um, ways of acting out. You know, different ethnicities, but I would say different cultural backgrounds, where something like that different might not might not be that unacceptable where they're from. It might. 
you know, it, it might be something where people shrug it off and go, yeah, well, you know how they are. Sometimes men will just piss on your face. Uh, they, maybe they don't get the opportunity to piss on anybody's face. And Oh, and down there they do. Uh, you know, um, I would tend to think that as with um, sprinkling dried feces on the salad bar, pissing on someone's face, I kind of feel like these are universal taboos. I don't see these as being, like, culturally appropriate in any environment. Few things bind us together uh, globally, and that, that may just be one of them. Well, perhaps this will convince de Blasio and the city council to revisit this old quality of life crimes thing, because really, uh, this is a summons, technically, right? Public uh, urination? Well, she got in my way. <laughs> it depends on his lawyer. Yes, he should get Ron Kuby. A Brooklyn judge put a nut job back on the street without bail. Talking about the judicial again. My goodness, the Post really keeps their eye on some of these judges because this judge had been told that the man had claimed voices in his head drove him to grab for a cop's gun and that he admitted he could have killed everybody in the room had he gotten the weapon. An official transcript shows that in addition to rejecting the request for, you know, how much bail they wanted for this guy for grabbing at a gun, a quarter million dollars bail, $250,000, the judge questioned prosecutor Patrick Capok's uh, assertion that his office would seek a maximum prison sentence due to the case's, quote, extremely violent nature. She asked, really? Huh. Or did she say, really? Oh, really? Really? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> it's probably like that, yeah. And when you really? see... Really? You're going to be that guy? Uh, really? <laughs> okay. Guess what? No bail. We're letting him out. It was a, a stunning exchange, it says. It took place four days after the Bronx cop... Uh, that was Officer Familia, R.I.P., fatally so shot. She, she let him out with no bail? She let him out with no bail. Yeah, she cited his lack of a criminal record. And, uh, and uh, yeah, she let him out. Wow. Uh, now, the Patrolman's uh, Benevolent Association did not like that. They demanded court officials demote this woman, Justice Bailey Schiffman, to civil court. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where she was... Uh, she was elected for that, and I guess maybe she got promoted up or something. Yeah. Uh, Pat Lynch noted that uh, Bailey Schiffman on Sunday also freed without bail a man accused of threatening to kill a Catholic nun in church and two men charged with using racial slurs before punching a black man who was walking with a white woman. You know, when I first read about that case, if this is the same one, this was in Brooklyn, the two guys? It doesn't say, but, but um, probably. Because... Uh, the guys' names, they sounded kind of like um, Russian or something like that. Oh, I Coney think. Island. Okay, now yeah. we're talking. Now, that, something like that I can see. Russians are a different breed. That's like super white. That's like the... You know what? I, was, I, I once slept with a Russian woman a couple of times, and her, she had a body. It was like a steel cage under her skin. And uh, I th really a face like a cyborg of some sort. You know okay. what I mean? Like, like sure. She had to assemble it. So, yeah, I see what you mean. She let him out without bail. That's the important thing. And, only, and, and one of the men charged in, in the latter case had 23 prior arrests. He allegedly threatened one of the cops who busted him in the hate crime assault. So. Um, this sounds like. Uh, now, prior. Look, maybe he shouldn't have gone to jail, but he should not have been released. I mean, this is why we need uh, some some way of dealing with the mentally ill besides putting them in jail because there's something like 10,000 people in the New York City jail system at any given time. Yeah. And um, a great many of them, like a quarter of them, have serious mental illness. Some of them are arrested 100 times a year, and they just go back, and, you know, it's, it's a revolving door. Um, well, it, and all these arrests don't necessarily amount to convictions, I, I've been told. So, like, when they sure. when they present that as, a, as sort of a stat that you should care about, it, it, it maybe it's not really that big a deal. But I think I think 20 of the arrests, it says something. Uh, you, you haven't been able to stay on the right side of the law exactly, even if none of these, you know, things wound up meaning anything. Now, they sought $25,000 bail in the case involving the nun, $50,000 bail for each man charged in the bias case. She let them all go for for nothing. She said uh, Lynch said that Bailey Schiffman's rulings demonstrate that she is not only grossly unfit to preside over any criminal matter, but also unfit to remain on the bench in any capacity. What do you think? 
you mean do, does that judge seem unfit to you as like as just a she seems um you know maybe they could put her over in um you know dealing with uh evictions or um you know uh arbitrating uh you know disputes with the mailman like you put my mail in the wrong uh, <laughs> Some kind of a postal. I'm trying to think of something which, yeah. that she could do where she wouldn't be doing a lot of harm. You know what? Maybe she could be a model. That's what I'm thinking. Because when you see what a beauty this woman is, I mean, She's she really is just a straight up fox. As you can see. Look at that dyke. Oh my okay. goodness, she is. Okay, I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's what that. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at. Uh, she you know, reminds she me a little bit of that judge we were talking about last time, the one who. Uh, <laughs> The, the shitting all over the, <laughs> the floor. The one with, with, with the really bad diarrhea, yeah. <laughs> they all are, are unattractive. There's never an attractive female judge. I'd like to see one once, just once. But this one here, not that way. No offense to her. She looks exactly like, like, like what the girls looked like. Uh, 13 years old, and when I was in middle school, there was at least 15 girls in every class. They had this round glasses, right. sort of a boy haircut, yes. but you know, and and like a sweater with a with collar like sticking collar, out. Yeah, with like a polo shirt or like and a, uh, these little beads, to, you know, come yeah, out. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah it's exactly. Weird. Yeah, it's it's she she looks like a lot of teenage boys for that matter, uh, but uh, not to dwell on her appearance. Uh, it's let's talk about how insane this guy is. Uh, this uh, his last name's Emmanuel. Suspect, uh, he gave cops a statement at the 83rd Precinct House. And Emmanuel, he's 29 years old. He went to the station uh, the day before to check on Tiana Barry, who had been arrested for allegedly violating an order of protection. So maybe the order of protection was something, that, I don't know if it was something he had gotten, or it, it really doesn't go into detail on that. Okay. Uh, when I saw I wasn't getting any attention, I just blacked out, uh, Emmanuel said. He said, I went for the officer's gun because they were not listening to Tiana. When things don't go right, I hear voices in my head telling me it's time to eat. So, no, he was just going to eat the gun. He's hungry. No big deal. And he says, I just do what the voice tells me. He goes with it. I mean, you got to yes and your voices. Yes, absolutely. And that's the first rule of improv. Uh, now, uh, Emmanuel also allegedly admitted, if I got hold of the gun, I could have possibly killed everybody in the room. And then the police would have killed me. Or I could have shot myself in the head to show that the issue with Tiana needs attention. He doesn't really have a very good... I don't think Tiana is into him the way he's into her. Um, well, you know, things are tough when uh, when your main, uh, your main dating advisor is the voice in your head. <laughs> Still, Bailey Schiffman denied Capic's request to send bail, to set bail of... $250,000 instead sided with Emmanuel's legal aid lawyer, Matthew Scott, who clearly is not even a very good lawyer. He uh, who noted that his client had no prior arrests and was receiving medication and therapy from Kings County Hospital. So if that's what he needs, it almost makes sense. Let him go get his medicine. I understand that point of view. However, you will get that medicine in prison. They that's true. They get excellent health care. That's true. They get better health care than, than, than I get. I don't know what kind of health care plan you've got, but uh, mine is the mine is just, just don't get sick. One of the biggest events ever in New York City of all time. It's, it's the day everybody remembers where they were, 9-11. I wasn't here at the time. Were you here at the time? Oh, yes, indeed I was. Uh, and where were you exactly? Um, <clears throat> well, I lived uptown, but uh, I got on the subway that day and was on my way to work and uh, around 50th Street. And when I got to 50th Street, they said, uh, oh, the uh, some planes have hit buildings. Everybody should go home. So I just uh, I just went home. Yeah. Okay. I got on the subway. Actually, you know what's funny is what I first thing I thought was I better buy bagels. So there was a <laughs> there was a bagel store like around 53rd. And it turned out it was like an, it was run by Afghanis. And <laughs> this is before any. And so I, I bought a dozen. I was like. The next few days, things are going to be kind of crazy. It might be hard to get bagels. I really should buy some before I get on the train. So I ordered a dozen bagels. I got a dozen bagels, and uh, they, they were looking a little perturbed. Let's put it that way. The, the, the Afghani uh, uh, proprietors of the bagel store. We hadn't even invaded Afghanistan I yet. know. We, nobody <laughs> knew anything. Anyway, so on my way home, it was very weird. Like I got uh, The train stopped at Dykeman Street. 
but I'm sitting on the train and like there's this guy looking really worried across from me and he's, he looks up and he says, now maybe they'll finally let Israel off the leash. Again, it was like, what? <laughs> no, nobody had any, nobody, the, the, the buildings hadn't even fallen down yet. Okay, yeah. Um, but the second planet hit, you knew it was an attack. Not, yes, okay. it was clear that it was an attack. So then, um, and you were just wow, our nation's under attack. Bagels, bagels. I better. <laughs> well, I think maybe it was kind of like a, like a, you know, survival instinct. Survival instinct, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I went home. Uh, so uh, yeah, it, my nine eleven was not um particularly traumatic because. I just fled Midtown as soon as I heard about it. Sometimes I've thought back, like, gee, maybe I should have headed downtown to see what was really going on. But, Give blood or something. Uh, well, not more just kind of like ghoulish to like see. But oh, uh, right, yeah. you know, um, I had little kids at the time. I was like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go home. Yeah, my one-year-old said that. That's fascinating. Uh, it, it's interesting to get that perspective because I wasn't in the city at all, and and, and it's it's nice to get a, a, a story of nine eleven that isn't so dramatic, you know, and it's a little light, a little levity. Sure. You know, it's like you know, I thought uh, that everybody had these, you know, uh, a lot. You hear a lot about PTSD and a lot of, you know, the, nothing from you like that, and that's uh, refreshing. I saw a truther video the other day. Oh, no kidding. And I got to say, I don't have any answers for some of these questions, and the thing is, uh, people think you're either a gigantic idiot or a lunatic, depending <laughs> on your level of belief, yes. you know, in it. So I'm not going to, I don't even want to say anything, not even to, to uh, you, and I mean you, the, the listener right now. Right. I don't even want them, you, anybody. It, it, it's it's funny, it's like voting for uh, Trump, you know? I mean, like, you, 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 you couldn't really say that at first, either. So maybe there will come a time. I, I there'll come a time when when uh, all the nine eleven truthers will be. Um, it'll be the normal thing to talk about. I think so because you know the Tonkin, uh, uh, whatever that Tonkin resolution. You know that was all nonsense. The Gulf of Tonkin. Gulf of Tonkin. We did not get attacked. Yeah, but that know. happened, and uh, right, but there nothing happened with nine eleven. Something actually happened. It's not like like the Gulf of Tonkin incident. They're like, oh. Uh, our boat was attacked in this gulf, and therefore okay, we need yeah. to do something. Yeah, look at it fall. Uh, but what about uh, you know Pearl Harbor? They knew about that, and and so we we as much as allowed that to happen. Uh, the president knew. So similar, maybe. Oh, they knew it. It came out. There was significant. Uh, yeah, that's like saying like. Um, Oh, uh, she wanted it to happen. No, it isn't saying <laughs> Don't say that. That's what I'm saying. Eisenhower well, was dressed did, like a whore. Why did she go out wearing that miniskirt? Why well, was Pearl Harbor sitting there looking so pretty and yeah, bombable? Exactly. <laughs> um, well, let me, uh, speaking of um, this question, so uh, the first time, this is a sweet story. Oh, good. Um, my first conversation I had with my, the woman who is now my wife, um, it was on the telephone. Um, we'd met online, and then we were having we exchanged some emails, and we were having our first conversation. Yeah. And she started telling me this story. Now we're both Jewish, right? I'm just going to lay that out there. Well, we got that from the bagels. Well, maybe. <laughs> so we're both Jewish, and so she's telling me this story that um, after the planes hit the tower, all these Jewish men um, were calling their rabbis to like basically give permission for their wives for uh in the jewish religion if you're religious mm -hmm. a man has to um give a divorce his wife and there's a formal thing yes a or get she, yeah a get yeah. you know about it. so otherwise right. she can't get married right yeah it has to be signed by the rabbi and approved all, all by the church yes. yeah. and, and if so if the man is missing like if he just goes missing a woman can be stuck in this limbo because they don't know if the man is dead. So my wife might... Interesting. So she's telling me the story. She says, yes, all these men, they were worried that their bodies would not be recovered, so they were uh, calling their rabbis. I said, hold on a second. This story is preposterous. doesn't make any sense. From the it get. It didn't happen. Yeah. 
And she said, uh, well, why not? And I said, because no Jews went to work that day. So that was my little... Um, <laughs> well, that's... No, that's not true. One guy, Irish Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, um, well, here's the other part of it. But is that, that, is, like, that is like a truther canard. But where are they calling from? In the rubble? They're going, if, in case you don't find... I mean, if you're out enough... No, it, this was the idea. It was after the planes hit, but before they fell. Okay. Oh, oh cool. so they're in the building, yeah, yeah, yeah. calling on the way down feverishly. Their first thought is not get the fuck out of the building. Well, it's, what if my wife wants to marry another dude? <laughs> well, it, That would have been I, literally I, I the think, last thing on my mind. I think the story has, <laughs> has holes in it. Right, okay. Um, aside from the truther. I suppose the it does. Uh, and But it's a sweet story uh, because uh, did your... Uh, did your wife uh, to be? She, did she laugh at your joke? She laughed oh. at my joke, and so that's, you know that's an, that was your very first joke. That was my very first joke, and so we've um, it's just been uh, six years of blissful uh, Jewish self hatred since. Oh then. man, that that must be so nice. Like you share that in common, and now to get a get, you wouldn't have to. You're not religious enough to do that, are you? Well, it's funny that you ask because I uh, had my my first marriage was also to a Jewish woman, and. Uh, my second, I, I decided to get a get for my second marriage. For from, you know, we had a civil divorce. Uh-huh. I mean, it was not. Very, it was that. I mean, it, it wasn't very civil, but there was a civil divorce. You I know, see. A legal divorce. A legal divorce. And then I decided, well, I'm going to get a get just for fun. So I wound up having to go out to Fort Lee. Um, just for fun. Let's make this official Jewish style. Yeah. So I went out to the, some rabbi's house in Fort Lee, and a scribe came. And he had like a quill and he sat there and wrote all this stuff down. And my ex-wife refused to come, uh-uh. even though like, mine did the same thing the whole time. Oh, we were yeah, married. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this whole formal present. He folded up this piece of paper in a very like kind of secret way. And we had this formal presentation where I presented it to this guy as a proxy and he said, okay, I'm going to lock this in a safe, so if your ex-wife ever wants it, she can retrieve it. It was bizarre. Oh, wow. So she would have to come and request it, or she would have to uh, say if she was dating a guy and about to get married, and, and would, would there be somebody who would notify her that, like, hey, yeah. Or would she have to get married to the church? Would they have that on file and know I, about it? I, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, how they... she actually did get married. Um, without the get. Without the get. So, you know, technically it's... Uh, you can still hit it, yeah. She's your property <laughs> still. Well, no, because from my perspective, I'm divorced. I don't owe her anything anymore. Okay. Um, but so, getting back to the question of 9-11, I, I, can I, I, I just want to tell you something else um, amusing that happened regarding um, trutherism. Oh. Which, uh, I used to work for the city council. I worked for a city council member. Yeah, and w- what years was that? That was in 2010. Okay. Uh, beginning of 2011, and um, I handled her, uh, you know, her city hall office. So people would come in, groups would come in, that we had meetings all day. and um, So this group was coming in, it was like late in the day, and I didn't know who they were. And they came in, and they, um, they started asking me if I'd watched their video yet. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. So they put this video on, and it's all about World Trade Center 7, and why it had to have been uh, demolished and not, you know, fall naturally and, you know, rates of fall and explosive this and all of that. Yeah, I'm familiar with all those. those yes. sound, that, that's, that's what I just was talking about. I'm sure. And so then they said, so uh, what do you think of this initially? And I said, initially, I, 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 I wish I had never um, made this appointment uh-huh. that you weren't sitting in the office right now. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't doubt that you've said those exact words to them. <laughs> I did. I did, actually. Yeah, because they, they they don't command respect as people that are going against the grain of the whole. So it, it's a generally accepted thing. However, they, they were saying, like, they're saying that I remember when they announced that it fell, the yes. World Trade Center 7, before it fell. I mean, I, I saw that, that okay. image on television. Okay. Uh, which is interesting. When it did fall, it creased in the middle. That doesn't happen. Unless it's a, a, a I know all this shit coming from a dude. When you watch it, though, they have these experts saying all this, and it doesn't sound so cracked. I, I, anyway. I've seen I've seen the videos. You know what I think is funny, and, and none of that made an impression on you. 
Well, here's the thing. It, it would make more of an impression, like about, say, with the the Twin Towers. They're like, this is outrageous that steel beams cannot be melted by jet fuel, and you cannot... What kind of building would fall down just because a plane hit it? Yeah. Um, these buildings are built to withstand such and such. Yes. This is all completely avoiding the basic fact of New York City... 1970s um, construction industry corruption and uh, Port Authority, uh, you know, laziness and inattentiveness. And look, these buildings were probably built really crappily. Oh, come on. The World Trade Center? Yeah, they they stood not? there. Well, because they got bombed oh, once. Because they stood there for 25 years. Well, they withstood a bombing <laughs> once and it didn't well, end just nothing a little happened. bombing. <laughs> It wasn't the same as a plane, maybe, but yeah, a, a full a full sized passenger jet loaded with jet fuel, like ripping into a building, and then but but by burning. what but by what uh, mechanism of physics does does that cause something to fall in on itself? Because like it starts a huge fire and you know and a massive fire. conflagration. That and doesn't the, make things just collapse, does it? Come on. I'm, no, really, does it? I don't know. I mean, how I, often does it happen? I, I, that's the way it goes. That's <laughs> that's like, very seldom does it happen. <laughs> hey, uh, Seth, um, where are you performing? <laughs> where are you going to be? Uh, you know, you can find me at City Journal, uh, the New York Post sometimes. Yeah, I love on Twitter. Follow this guy on Twitter. Follow Seth Barron. It's at NYC Council Watch, C-O-U-N. CIL watch. We got other stories that we will talk about. Another guy went for a gun in Brownsville, uh, we, except it was an MTA guard. Another wrongful conviction, uh, which had to do with Louis Scarcella, who, uh, yeah, it's, you know what? 12 of them now. 12 wrongful convictions for uh, that Lewis was involved in various lineups and investigations. And uh, they're looking into that in Brooklyn and getting to the bottom of some of these wrongfully uh, convicted murders. Uh, we have. Uh, Oh, my goodness, just a, a horrible attack on a woman as she's leaving church in Queens. Also in Jamaica, a lot of, and, and you know what, in violent Brooklyn, a poor grandmother robbed of her winnings that she rightfully got out of a slot machine in Atlantic City. Just a, oh my. Just a real tragedy. Uh, well, we'll talk to you next time. Uh, thank you for uh, being here one more time, Seth Barron. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pat. Hope to see you again soon. And thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Near the end of last year, I had the opportunity to interview a retired detective of the NYPD. I've interviewed retired and active members of law enforcement, but this interview was different for a few reasons. Number one, the time he was a cop. During the 1970s, cities across the United States were in a disastrous period of decline. White flight and disinvestment yielded higher levels of crime and decay. The population in New York City dropped 7,896,000 to 7 million at only 72,000. Kind of wish that would happen now, in a way. Government officials concluded there was no solution, though, and they left the city to crumble. The South Bronx experienced the worst distress of any region in the country, and that's the second factor that made this interview different. Where he was working, the 41st precinct in the South Bronx, known as Fort Apache, is the most violent and dangerous precinct in the most crime-ridden community in the United States. The third factor was his record. During his time with NYPD, 1970 to 1984, he made over 2,000 arrests, including 105 off-duty arrests. He didn't clock out. It's hard to put those numbers in perspective, uh, speaking for myself and others who don't happen to be cops, but I know now those numbers are highly unusual. With 219 NYPD awards, along with 36 civilian honors, he's the most highly decorated detective in the history of the NYPD. Some police officers go their entire career without ever having to draw their gun, and that's great. And, and for most of the rest, it's a rare occurrence. This cop had been in 15 gun battles and had shot and killed four men, all of which were clean and justified and necessary for public safety. In Fort Apache, during the 70s and 80s, it was all part of the job. 
His work with NYPD during this time demonstrates that he was like a law enforcement animal, more or less unleashed on the chaos of the time and place to confront the criminal element on behalf of good people, on behalf of poor and desperate people who were held hostage by the poverty, violence, and decay. This street warrior, entrusted by the public and empowered by the department, charged with the impossible task to silence the gunshots, clean up the streets, to somehow tame the wild violence of an urban jungle and restore order to a rare detective with more than ready for the street level fight. He was energized by it. He did his job and lived his life as a cop with every waking moment taking danger off the streets so that decency could return. And it did. And the cops who followed were able to find the path back to some form of civilization through the trail he'd cut through crime in the South Bronx. There'll always be crime and new challenges. The South Bronx continues to recover while New York City thrives. The numbers support the rhetoric. Crime is not the threat to our existence that it was during this time. Were it not for the actions of this officer, you have to wonder how many more murders, robberies, and rapes would have taken the lives and livelihoods of decent people and, and demoralize the spirit of individuals whose hopes were snuffed out by a stray bullet or a wanton act of violence or by heroin. There's no way of knowing that number. We only know that without him and the cops who followed his example, things would have been worse. That cop, now 68 years old, his name is Ralph Friedman, and he took the time to share his experience and tell some of his stories from that now almost unimaginable time. In New York City. So uh, I guess uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get you to tell a story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me an example of what you would like to hear. Sure. Well, you know, something with, uh, like you mentioned. Some action? Uh, yeah, well, some action. Yeah, why not? Okay. Um, well, I started out, I was doing a, an eight to four, which I don't normally do. It was a day shift. And uh, I tried to always do nights, but I was working with my regular partner. And... Uh, we caught a purse snatcher, and it was like near the end of the tour. It was about uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. So uh, it was a routine arrest. You know, someone grabbed the purse. We chased them. I caught them, uh, got the woman's bag back and all the property. And I was processing the arrest in the precinct, and it was going uh, past 4 p.m., obviously, because it was near the end. And my partner went home, and I took the arrest, so I would be going to court. And... I was processing it in the precinct, and a CI came in, which is a confidential informant. And he started relating a story to me. He came in with his wife, actually. And he was a good CI of mine, which means he gave me numerous pieces of information that always panned out. Mm. And he starts telling me there's a guy selling a gun right now. And, uh, you know, that's a serious case. And uh, I've got some information from him. And I went to my uh, immediate supervisor, the boss of the squad there, who was Sergeant Cantor. And uh, we developed a little plan when he told us the location and everything. And we decided we were going to send uh, the couple back. And he was supposed to meet him on a roof. So the CI was going to go up on the roof. And the wife was going to stand in front of the building so we had the exact location. And we were going to come from down the block me and uh, Sergeant Cantor, and we were going to go up uh, on the roof, and the roofs were all connected. This was on uh, Decatur Avenue near like 196th, 197th Street, 198th Street. And we were going to watch from an vantage point, and when the gun was handed off to the CI, we felt that would be a good time to move in and make the arrest because, uh, not that I trust anybody with a gun, but the CI was much better than the perpetrator. So we figured... He'd get the gun, and then we'd rush in and arrest the perpetrator. So we're heading up to the roof, and we're just about at the roof, and we start hearing shots fired. So that was the first uh, time our plan didn't go it's exactly as planned, you know? So right now we got to take action. We don't even know if he's shooting the, the CI, if he's shooting someone else. We don't know what's going on, but we hear shots. So we burst through the roof door, and we see... Three people on the roof. Now, that's second thing. We expected just the one uh, gun salesman and the CI. Now we see three people. 
So right away, we start screaming police and charging across about four rooftops. They're all connected, but there's a small, um, small wall that you had to jump over. It's probably about two feet high that separated the individual buildings. So we're charging towards them, screaming police, and this is in a fraction of a second, and the guy, actually what we see is the guy leaning over the roof with a high-powered rifle, popping off shots. Jesus. <clears throat> so as we're charging, the guy turns at us with the rifle and cocks the level and starts to aim at us. So we open fire, and we start... Uh, I fired six rounds at the time from a revolver, a Colt, and my partner fires two rounds. And between the eight shots that are fired at him, he goes down. Uh, so we shot him, I think, two, two or three times we hit him. He drops the rifle, goes down. The CI hits the deck. He knows enough to hit the floor and stay down. Yeah. And the other guy disappears with, behind like a kiosk that's on the roof. It's like a, looks like a chimney or a, you know, an elevator shaft or a dumbwaiter shaft. It's about seven or eight feet high, three foot square. I can't see him at all. So the first thing we do, we run over, we kick the gun away from the, uh, the perpetrator that's down because he's alive. Mm. And right away, I go to look for the other uh, perpetrator on the roof. And I start to round, I pull out a second gun because I fired six rounds from my Colt revolver. Now I pull out a second gun. And I'm just rounding the, this uh, kiosk looking for the second guy. And right in front of me, there he is standing with the knife over his head in a lunging down position. And he's just ready to stab me in the head. And I feel my finger tightening on the trigger. And I'm just about to fire. You know, I, I feel it, the pressure actually. But before my gun fires, I hear two shots. Sergeant Cantor now came up behind him and saw he was going to stab me and shoots him from behind twice. Right. So the guy goes down and he drops the knife, right? And now Sergeant screams to me, get the rifle, get the rifle. So I start to go past this guy. And there's a, between the kiosk and the edge of the roof, because at that point, we're at the last roof. Now, if you go over the roof, you're going down. There was like only about three or four feet of space. So I go to cross him, and the guy starts to get up. He pops up with and grabs the knife again. I had my second gun. I just shoot him right in the stomach, killing him right there. Then I run around and get the rifle, and we handcuff that guy, and we handcuff the, uh, the CI, you know, to make it look like we're collaring him and he's not in on it. Sure. We collar him. We collar that guy. The guy with the knife is dead. And by this time, we hear a lot of... Uh, sirens in the background and uh you know the police the reinforcements are coming oh man that must have been music to your ears i guess well we had it under control at that right. position but it, it's always good to hear the sirens yeah. you know? <laughs> i've been in a lot of instances where i needed the sirens you know and it felt really good when they were coming yeah. that's when the incident was pretty much over uh -huh. we had everybody cuffed everyone was shot or killed and it was you know it was under control hear and see the whole interview on compound media that's compoundmedia.com you could get it it's like five dollars a month uh if you do it for a year you can also see that video on patreon.com five dollars a month also and you know you get a bunch of other stuff there too uh, compoundmedia.com and patreon.com uh, go to patreon.com slash patdixonnyc uh, to find out everything you need to know about becoming a patron. Thanks very much for your support. And on compoundmedia.com, this week, uh, well, actually the 21st, you will see uh, my second interview with Ralph Friedman. That's uh, never been seen before, and you, uh, <laughs> he has a lot to say. So my second interview with Ralph Friedman Coming up this Friday on CompoundMedia.com. My guest Monday, that is basically today, uh, Full Charge, Matt Fulcheron, and Donald Trump. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. If you want to get the real, full experience of what it was like uh, in the 1970s to be a cop in, in New York City, read Street Warrior by Ralph Friedman. Incredible book filled with stories that you just won't believe, and you're getting it straight from the man. You know, you've seen a lot of crime movies from the 70s and 80s, right? Check it out. Street Warrior. It's going to be released July 25th. You can get it at crimereport.nyc. 
crimereport.nyc. Get Street Warrior. Is it over? Find out how to get extra content and bonus material from this and other shows. Go to patreon.com slash pattixonnyc. Check it out. Support New York City Crime Report. Go to patreon.com slash pattixonnyc. A lot of racial shit this year. A lot of racial shit. <laughs> White people are crazy. Ah, uh, fuck.